We want to spend a few moments allowing God's Word to work on us, to reach our hearts. The portion that is chosen for today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 through 21. Particularly the last part of this passage is a, is a verse that uh, many of us have put into our hearts and our minds through memorizing it. Uh, just one of those special verses that means a lot to us. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. For truly this is the Word of God. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. I had trouble with my Bible all morning this morning. It's a new Bible. I haven't made friends with this Bible yet. Do you have to make friends with your Bible? And uh, this is my fourth preaching Bible that I've been through. And each time it's quite a transition because things move around. They're not the same place that they were in the old Bible. But we're getting to know each other pretty well. Recently, in an interview, a current movie producer, director, rather, uh, Hollywood guy, was asked uh, if he enjoyed watching his own movies that he had made. And he replied by saying, you know, I really rarely ever sit down and really watch one of the movies after I've made it. But what I really like to do is I like to go to the theater where one of my movies is showing and to kind of slip in and sit at the back and watch the audience watch the movie. I like to hear the laughter. I like to see the tears. I like to sense the tension that's in the room. And and if all of those things work like I wanted them to, then I feel a real sense of accomplishment. I think that all the hard work on that movie was worthwhile if it elicits the response that I wanted it to. Well, as I was reading this passage today, or for today, I was thinking, you know, maybe that's why God comes and joins us here. We have promises in Scripture that whenever His people gather for worship, that God comes and joins us for that worship. And I know there's many reasons that He does that, but I wonder if maybe high on the list isn't that he likes to come and watch us to see if all the hard work 
all the effort, everything that he did for us to make us his people, if it's had the effect that he had in his heart whenever he did it. I wonder as he joins us here at Johnson Street, and as we go through this time together, if he, could I say, leaves this place, I know it's hard to talk about God leaving anywhere, thinking, they got it. All that I did for them is working in their lives because I can see that what I had in mind whenever we did the hard work that made them my children, that it's all worthwhile. Now, this passage that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, it talks about the effect that God wanted us to realize that his work had done. How does Paul describe it? He says, you know, all this that God did, it has created a new creation. It's like everything that God had ever made before has now been changed, and it's all brand new. What does Paul mean by that? What does he mean that the work that God did through sending his son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross and resurrecting him from the dead, how did that change absolutely everything? A new creation. Well, you know, we can look back in Scripture and see that God's creation really has changed. That there were things about his creation in the beginning that are different about his creation now. For example, you Old Testament scholars, how did God first water the earth? How did he send the needed moisture to this earth based on the early chapters of Genesis? Anybody remember? It was a mist that rose from the ground. Remember that little phrase that's in there? In fact, we don't have any mention of rain until the days of Noah. Now, we don't know if we're interpreting that too literally or, or being too specific, but it sort of sounds like that originally God had a different way to bring moisture that the earth needed to this earth, which if that's true, then no wonder the people thought that Noah was crazy when he was out building an ark and telling them that it was going to rain so hard that the earth was going to flood when they hadn't ever seen rain before. If you keep reading in those early chapters of Genesis, you hear some names of rivers, and there's descriptions of where these rivers are. And if you go and look on a map today, those rivers aren't there anymore. And they don't flow in the same direction, in the same places, in the same ways that they obviously did whenever God first created the earth. So something has changed. Interesting thing, I didn't mention in first service, but I saw uh, some satellite imagery that was recently taken of the area where some of these rivers were. And you can trace out the riverbeds that used to be there. And they were great and mighty rivers, but the earth has changed. His creation has changed. We ourselves can observe that. I mean, obviously, there were lots of different animals and creatures that once roamed this earth that are no longer here. 
Scientists are always digging up fossils of, of weird creatures that, that we don't have those anymore. And sometimes they'll find a, a, a frozen carcass of an animal up in, in an ice cap in the north or the south and pull that out and say, look at this, you know, and say, well, we don't see any of those things walking around anymore. So things have changed. We can keep observing the land around us and see that, that the continents didn't used to quite be shaped the way they are now, that they've moved around and, and that the climate has been different at different times in the history of the earth. Uh, that it's been very, very cold. It's been very, very warm. And right now, you know, we've got people running around saying that it's changing again. And that seems to be rather obvious. But the question is, well, is it just one of these natural cycles that the earth goes through? Or are we doing something to it? I'll let y'all answer all of those questions, okay? Not going there. <laughs> but obviously, God's creation has changed and continues to change. But is that what Paul is talking about? That because God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, to his creation, that everything in creation changed. I don't think that's what he means. What is it then that he's talking about with this new creation? Well, what changed whenever he sent Jesus Christ to live among us and to die for us and to be raised from the dead for us? What changed was the highest order of his creation. When we go back and read the creation accounts in the book of Genesis, what is the pinnacle of God's creation? After he had made the sun, the moon, all the stars, all the universe, everything else, what is it that he was most pleased with? What is it that he loved the most about his creation? You. You. That's right. When he created humans, that was the pinnacle of his creation. That was the part that, that he had built everything else for, had made everything else for, was to be able to place us into this creation. So whenever Paul talks about that all creation has been changed, he's talking primarily about us. What effect that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has had in our lives. And primarily, too, what he's talking about, if we keep reading the passage, is that what has changed is our relationships. Do you notice the word reconciled, how that kept popping up in there? Well, the problem was that even though we were created to have this great relationship with God, and also created then to have a fantastic relationship with each other. All of that kind of fell apart, didn't it? Not kind of fell apart. <laughs> it just went splat. Whenever something that we now call sin entered this world. When we began to rebel against God and to go our own way and to do things the way we wanted to do them. Then that really destroyed the relationship that we were enjoying with God. And it also infiltrates our lives and destroys the relationships that we enjoy with each other. Those times whenever we want God to be so near and we want to be so near to Him 
and we just sense that perhaps God is, seems far away from us. Well, it's not that God has gone anywhere. And as Isaiah tells us, it's not that his arm is too short to reach us. But what has separated between us and him is sin. And every time we have a relationship problem with someone that is dear to us on this earth, every time that you get crossways with, with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, with a friend, anytime there's tension there, do you know what the cause of that tension is? It's sin. It's because we have become so infected with this rebellious selfishness, There's lots of different ways to describe what sin really is, but we become so engrossed in it and it has become so much a part of our lives that these relationships that are so vital to us are strained and they suffer and oftentimes are broken altogether. So God sent His Son to change that. He sent his son who knew no sin. Isn't that a marvelous passage there at the end of this this chapter? He who knew no sin, God made to be sin for our sake, so that if we believe in him and cling to him and trust in him, that he has taken this attitude, this thing that has so invaded us, and he has taken the punishment, the effects, all of the reality of that upon himself, so that if we have faith in him and we invite and welcome him into our lives, that we are reconciled both with God and with one another. Now, We work on that a lot, don't we, with the God part. I mean, it's theological, it's doctrinal, and it's meaningful to us. But that's really not the first thing that Paul stresses in this passage. He does stress it as he says that God is the one who actively reconciled us to himself that there was no way we were going to fight our way back to God. There was no way that we could clean up our act. We could do anything about the sinfulness that, that we were so wrapped up in. That God had to do something about it. I read a quote the other day that keeps sort of rambling in my mind. It's a quote from Martin Luther, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Martin Luther and I, well, he spoke German, I speak English, but also he just spoke better than I do. So I have to put it into the words I understand. But that Martin Luther said, you know, he said, the problem with sin is, is that sin is an infectious disease that invades our whole body and everything we are and everything that we do. He said, it's kind of like leprosy. And, and if you've got leprosy, you can't defeat leprosy just by doctoring little sores that pop up on your skin. You can't just go after this one and then go after that one and then go after that. And he says, you know, that's how we sometimes treat sin in our lives. We think it's the, the things that sort of pop up out of our life. Well, we try to break this bad habit or we try to change this action. And we address the, little, the sins that we commit one at a time as we see them coming up. But the problem is we're full of it. It's infected our whole body. And there's nothing we can do to fight that infection. God has to do it for us. And the way he chose to change us 
was to send his son who knew no sin so that in him we might be healed of sin and we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul talks about that God has reconciled us to himself and then he pleads with us. Be reconciled to God. He's done the work. He has come after us. Whenever we ran away from him, he didn't give up on us, but he came after us and he took care of the problem that was separating us from him. So how can we do anything but reach out our arms and be welcomed into his arms after all the work that he's done? So I think one thing that God is looking for when he comes to watch us is to see whether or not we really celebrate our reconciliation with him. Does he see us sitting in this auditorium wondering if God loves us or not? Does he see us sitting in this auditorium still feeling detached from him? Still feeling guilty over the sinfulness that we see popping up in different places in our life? Or do we come together as a people and celebrate that even though we are unworthy, even though we are sinners, that God has come to us and taken care of that problem and he has embraced us again and we are his children and we can live lives confident that yes, God loves us. Yes, God has embraced us. But also... Paul talks about how not only has that changed his relationship with God, but it changed his relationship with every human being that he comes in contact with. Did you notice he begins this by saying, you know, because of my reconciliation with God, I don't view anyone that I see from a human point of view anymore. As an example, he gives the example of Christ. He said, you know, I used to think of Jesus just as a human being. I used to think of him from just the same perspective that I saw everyone else. Well, what would that perspective be? Well, you know enough about Paul's story. Remember when he was Saul, right? Who was Saul? Well, Saul was this highly educated, very successful person within the Jewish system. And he had risen up through the ranks and was becoming somebody very important. Well, what did he think of Jesus at that time? Well, if you could ask him, he'd say, you know, That was just some uneducated, itinerant Galilean preacher who had some crazy ideas and some weird interpretations of the law of God. And he went around making trouble. He went around preaching and teaching to these people that were gullible enough to believe him and and playing into their their hopes for a Messiah. And and they thought he was the Messiah. and, And he was just causing a lot of problems. And that's why we Jewish authorities had to turn him in to the Romans and get rid of this guy because he was causing all these problems. But even that didn't fix it. After he was crucified as a criminal, then his influence kept spreading and people kept saying that he was alive again. And and they started banding together and they were doing different things and we had to put a stop to it. That's what he would have told you about Jesus when he looked at him from a human point of view. But then he met Jesus as the Son of God. He met Jesus as the Messiah. He met Jesus as the Lord of the universe. He met Jesus as his Redeemer. And everything changed about the way he thought about Jesus. But he goes on to say, and everything changed about the way I thought about everyone else. 
Because you see, before he met Jesus, Paul was a bigot. Paul was a racist. He believed only the Jewish people were the good folks. And the Gentiles, they were just worthless, lost people. He wouldn't eat with a Gentile. He tried not to even touch a Gentile. By the way, I think probably 99% of you sitting in this room are Gentiles. So if it was the old Paul, he would have avoided you. Because if he touched you, he'd have to go home and take a bath. Wash his hands. Because he had touched, ooh, someone who was unclean. He said, I quit judging people based on their race. I quit judging people based on their wealth. I quit judging people based on their education. I quit judging people based upon their prestige. I quit judging people based on whether they had more problems in life than I seem to have. I quit judging people based on whether I thought they were successful or not, or they were worthy of my attention or not, or whether they were like me or not. You know, as we become a more globalized world... The world gets smaller due to all our gadgetry and everything. It's really interesting that we also see another phenomenon kind of happening is that the closer we get together, the more we group up into little groups. And the less interested we seem to be in getting to know people who are not like us. And the less interested we seem to be in valuing and spending time with people who maybe look different, speak different, And this is particularly true, I think, along the age line, that we don't seem to really want to get to know the people up and down. You know, ask Brian, Kevin, Bob, any of our staff members that, Lois, when when we, I always hate when I start a list, I know I'm going to leave someone out, but when we get together uh, on our staff meetings and we're talking about new members that have come our way, one of the first things we always talk about is, oh, how are we going to get these folks connected? You know, how are we going to get them to meet all these wonderful people here at Johnson Street and make friends with them? Because after all, we are all one. Jesus died to make us a community and a people that love each other and know each other. And we don't let any boundaries stand in the way of doing that. Just because someone's not quite like us in some way, whether it's because they're more successful or more educated or less successful or less educated, or because they're older or because they're younger. Let me tell you where a little bit of this tirade has come from, okay? The other day I was visiting with a young guy, and, and he won't mind me telling you this. He's not here anyway today. But anyway, I was visiting with a guy. And, uh, and he said something about, you know, the old folks. <laughs> and I'm offended by that, and, and more and more so. <laughs> and, and I said, um, Kenner, can I embarrass you a little bit? Because I brought you up as an example in our conversation. But I said, do you know Kenner Moose? And he said, uh, well, I, I know who he is. I said, no, 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 have, have you talked with Kennard Moose? You know, Kennard is a great blessing to this family for who he is and what he's done. I said, do you know what Kennard Moose was doing when he was your age? He said, no. I said, well, you do it, you should. <laughs> yeah. Kennard Moose at this guy's age was flying fighter planes off a carrier in the South Pacific. And in the course of that, was shot down. Spent some time in the water, didn't you, Kennard? Yeah, in a life raft that had an orange top and a blue bottom, isn't that right? 
And the Japanese could see the orange life raft in the water, and they were trying to shoot him in the life raft. So Kennard got in the water, turned the life raft over him to hide from the Japanese. But every time he heard his own friends, his own planes flying over, he would pull the life raft up and wave at them and cover himself back up again. And they were able, over a period of time, to get to him, to pluck him out of the water and take him back to the, the carrier. They gave him a whole night off, didn't they? after being shot down, gave him one night off, let him sleep, put him in another fighter plane. He took off and shot down two Japanese planes the next day. You know, you got to know someone like that. That's not all that Kennard is. Kennard is a great man of God. Kennard has lived a faithful life for all these years. You just got to know folks like that. We've got to come to hang on to each other and to resist Anything that pushes us apart, anything that keeps us from enjoying what God has done. So I think when God comes to watch us in worship, I think he's waiting to see if the work he did was worth it. Do we open up our hearts and welcome him? Do we come with the confidence that he loves us, has embraced us, that he has touched our sinful lives and put within us the undeserved but real righteousness of God, and that we are his children. Does he look around and see how we love each other and that we don't let ourselves be separated from one another because he sent his son to die for us so that in Christ we may be one? Now that's a different creation. It's a whole different animal than what's out there in the world. But in here, it's a reality that we live with the confidence that God is our Father and we are His children and that we together in Christ are one. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And when we do, some of our leaders, some of our elders, some of our staff members are going to go to the back and to the sides of this auditorium. You can find them. They'll be there in the aisle. And I don't know what you came bearing in your heart today, whether you came with this feeling of separation from God, whether you came doubting that God can really love you and wondering if God can forgive you and God can touch your heart and cleanse you and heal you of your sin. If you came bearing that kind of burden, step out and let one of these men or women pray with you. If you came here today just with the worry and pain of earthly struggles, of illness in your body or a family member or dear friend that is struggling with health and, and you want the prayers of this church for that person, there they are in the aisle. And this is your opportunity to go to them. Let's stand and sing. <clears throat> of Jesus.